Welcome to the drop-in sessions on Wavelength Community Radio presented by Mermaid Jin with your host, Sophie Everard. Hey everybody, welcome to episode eight of the drop-in sessions brought to you by Wavelength Community Radio and the awesome folk at the delicious Mermaid Jin. Episode eight features one of pro surfing's and indeed grassroots surfing's most loved and influential women. California-born Holly Beck lit up professional surfing during her long streak as a pro after graduating from college in 2001. As a powerful athlete competing for over a decade, Holly became a globally known face, also gracing campaigns, covers, and TV shows, and as a successful model. Don't assume, however, that Holly fits the stereotypical blonde surfer chick boilerplate. I feel Holly really shirked off those expectations of the time, and hunkered down, working hard to let her surfing and talent do the talking, and not shying away from hiding her tomboy love of adventuring, of commitment to training, and personal development and study. Holly's career has been multifaceted, and I feel she is someone who has really impacted women surfing for the better at a true grassroots level. As the founder of the globally adored Surf with Amigas Retreats, Holly's retreats have opened up surfing to and improved the surfing of so many women worldwide for well over a decade. She recently completed a master's in counseling, adding to her master's in marketing, which was finished while she was competing on tour, and her undergraduate degree in psychology. That makes me feel lazy. (laughs) But not busy raising her two gorgeous kids, she has been working on tying together surfing and surf coaching from a holistic perspective, which I can't wait to explore with her. I'm so happy to welcome Holly back to the drop-in sessions. Holly, how's it going? How are you? Awesome. I'm good. Thank you. (laughs) And so I think you're in California now, right? What's kicking over there? Are you still living in Nicaragua or are you based in the U.S.? Where I'm based is a complicated question to answer. (laughs) I don't really have like a, uh, there's no easy answer basically. So I have a house in Southern Costa Rica, where my dog and cat live. Um, I have a house in Nicaragua, which is my favorite place to surf myself. So a big part of my heart lives there. My boyfriend lives in San Diego and right now my kids live in Northern California. My permanent mailing address is in Orange County, California. So I'm kind of like, I live wherever I happen to be at the moment. Um, so right now today that's in Northern California and tomorrow it'll be in Costa Rica. Amazing. I I respect that a lot. I also like to kind of dip between spots. And um, so it looks like you're working on so many interesting things right now, and I can't wait to dive into it. And I feel like your career, since you wrapped up as a pro, was in 2001. It feels like your work really took off in so many different exciting channels. Well, 2001 was when I graduated college and started competing. And and then I I stopped competing in 2008. And then Mm -hmm really kind of fell off the map of pro surfing in 2010 when I moved to Nicaragua. Um, so I kind of feel like, yeah, 2010 was this turning point. Um, and I had just gotten disillusioned with, you know, all the silliness that goes along with being a pro surfer. Obviously there's so many, so many amazing things and I don't want to like diminish all of the, the benefits I uh, got to travel the world and have all my surf gear for free and get paid and have all these crazy adventures with all these women. But, you know, there's a, another side to the surf industry, which is trying to fit into this, you know, marketable mold um, that you touched on in the intro of like having to be a model when you really identify as a tomboy and and just having to kind of kiss up to the 
male um, owners of the different companies and and really like wear a mask and you know do a dance and put on an act and I wasn't world champion you know I didn't start serving till a little bit later and I spent a lot of time in my career trying to prove that I wasn't just a model but at the same time being a model was kind of what allowed me to get paid as much as some of my peers who were you know on the championship tour so it was really nice in 2010 to step away from that and go live in a remote corner of northern Nicaragua where none of that really mattered and I could just kind of redefine myself and kind of decide who I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Amazing I definitely want to revisit some of those points you just made for sure and um, casting the clock back even further like Holly is a kid and I think I read somewhere and please tell me if this is true but as a kid that you would borrow a board, was it from your uncle and go surfing every day at 4am at a beach near your house? Is that true? Uh, it's a kind of a mixture of a few true facts that are, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I, I wanted to surf when I was, I, I think I discovered it when I was maybe 12 or 13. And, you know, I grew up in Palos Verdes, California, which is a coastal community, but my family didn't live right at the beach and my parents weren't beach people. So we would go to the beach in the summer, maybe once or twice. Um, and then as I got into you know, adolescence, I started going with friends, families, but again, it wasn't something that was like a daily part of my life. And I think I discovered surfing that, you know, even that surfing was a thing, you know, I was like a 12 or 13 year old. And I found this old board of my uncles at my grandparents' house that I had like never noticed before. It was this like old 1960s, like kind of really interesting design. And I asked for it. I was like, can I have it? And my uncle was like, yeah, of course. Like I haven't even looked at that thing in 20 years. And my grandma was like, please get it out of the garage. And my mom said, no, absolutely not. Surfing's for boys. You know, you should be sitting on the beach looking cute in your compete in your bikini, not out competing with them. And I think that had been like, ever since I can remember, I was a tomboy. I wanted to play soccer and climb trees and, you know, ride bikes and wear shorts and my mom was very old fashioned and like old fashioned gender roles of like girls wear frilly dresses and they don't play sports and they're made to be cute and they take dance lessons. And so I was always like at odds with my mom and some of my earliest memories of were of wishing I was a boy and, and not because I wanted a boy's body, you know, it wasn't really like a gender thing. Like I wished I was a different gender, but it was that all the boys are allowed to do these things that I wish I could do. And therefore I wish I was a boy. Um, and so when surfing entered my awareness, of course, my mom put that in the category of things that little girls don't do. Um, but by the time I was 14, I had saved up babysitting money and bought a surfboard at a garage sale and ended up keeping it at my friend's house for a little bit because then I could just tell my mom I was going to my friend's house and I didn't have to, you know, try and, finagle it into the beach. And, you know, little by little, as I got older, you know, she lost the ability to dictate which activities I participated in. So, but, and I, and I think in some ways it really motivated me. Um, because once I was able to go surfing, I was like all in, I had all this motivation to kind of prove something. And, you know, this was in the mid nineties when women surfing wasn't a big thing. You know, I would go to the beach and be you know, there would be no other girls or maybe there'd be one other girl. And, and so even though 
I didn't agree with my mom that this was this thing for boys. I would show up at the beach and I'd be like, but they're really just our boys. So, you know, I think I, I kind of developed this idea of that I was doing something wrong and I didn't fit in that. It, it took me years to really like overcome. Mm, that's really interesting. So kind of set against the backdrop of being a girl and learning to surf in the nineties, which wasn't necessarily a place where there were actually very many females in the lineups at all or period, full stop. And then also coming up against your mother's opinions about what little girls should be doing, for example. That sounds like quite a tough setting for you to kind of get going. So you must have had quite a determined psyche already at a young age. Yeah, for sure. I just knew that like the water was my happy place, you know, like even from a little tiny kid, like taking swim lessons, I was always happiest in the water. And, and once I discovered surfing, it was, it was no different. And, um, yeah, I, I think that it, it was always, I just never felt like I fit in. I never felt like I belonged. And, and my mom, you know, I know now looking back on it and especially that I'm a mom myself, I can, I can recognize that she was really trying to do what she thought was best for me. Like she really had this belief that, you know, a, a nice young lady did these certain things. And if I did those certain things, then I would be accepted by my peers, by the boys. And, you know, her goal in life was to marry a rich husband and buy a nice house and have a bunch of kids. And so she wanted that same thing for me. And she thought that by telling me, like, if you do these things, no one's going to like you, that that was going to motivate me to do the things that she wanted me to do. But really what happened was that I still wanted to do what I wanted to do, but I developed the belief that no one liked me. And, you know, as a kid in middle school, when, you know, you're trying to figure out how you fit in around other people and, you know, when I, the message I was getting at home is no one's going to like you. You know, I just really developed that belief that no one was going to like me. It didn't stop me from doing what I wanted to do, but I did it with the idea that no one liked me. And that's something that like I struggled with for a long time, for a long mm -hmm. time. You know, those beliefs that you develop at a young age, like even if you bury them under the surface, they're still there. And even once I went on tour and, you know, I was a pro surfer, I still had this belief that no one liked me. I still felt like an outsider. And, you know, in a lot of ways I was, it was like, I was saddled with this thing of, oh, she's just a model, you know? And then it was like, oh, I'd gone to college and I'm a nerd, you know, I love to read and my brain needs activity at all times. So I would be like on tour with my books and, you know, eventually I got an MBA. So I was, you know, studying and I just always felt kind of on the outside. And, and I think that part of that was based on that childhood belief that I had developed that no one was going to like me. Um, mm. So yeah, it was really that, the foundation of everything. Go ahead. That's so interesting because now it's like surfing is like the cool kid in the room in terms of sports. And like, it's such, it's so lifestyle driven, isn't it? Like people walk down, the beach holding a board just because it might look cool or like pose with, you know what I mean? And like for you to say back then, I mean, it sounds like you felt like a real black sheep and that mentality was really carrying through your career. And yet now it's like surfing's a cool kid in the room and like there's so much posing around it, you know, and posturing. And that's like completely different to what you went through back then when you were really kind of tarred with the brush that no one will like you back then if you wanted to be a surfer. 
Yeah, it's funny how much it's changed. And and even you know, when I first got into surfing, I very quickly got sponsored by Rusty, Rusty mm. Surfboards. And I went on this photo shoot. I was like 17 years old. I don't even know how it all happened. But somehow I found myself on this photo shoot as a model. And the first photo that came out of me in the magazines, I'm standing in a red bathing suit holding my surfboard like as a model. And my mom was like, oh, you're a model. And then she's like buying all these magazines and trying to like claim me to all her friends. I'm like, no, 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 you can't claim this, you know? But, but it is funny that, that that was sort of how, how the career started is like, you know, she's like, you need to be cute and look on, it'd be look cute in a bikini. And that's how you're going to be accepted. And I was like, no, I just want to go surfing because it's fun and then my serving career started and here I am like as a model. So it, it's sort of funny how I was like, even once my serving career got started, I was still battling that same thing of like, mm. okay, I guess I'll like wear the bathing suit and look cute because my mom's been telling me since the beginning that that's how I'm going to get people to like me. But inside, mm. you know, I want to wear board shorts and I want to, you know, whatever, not have to worry about all that. Mm. I feel like so many of the athletes that I speak to and even on this podcast interviewing, like that was the common mindset. It's like, I don't want to wear the freaking bathing suit. Like I want to compete and be an athlete and wear board, like whatever it is you want to wear. And yet, especially during that time, let's say like 80s, 90s, 2000s. I mean, we could argue past 2010 for sure, maybe. Like it's it's crazy that surfing is a sport where what you wear in the water, where even like it's not you're wearing clothes that are really something that's like anything to do with your performance and yet it was such a big part of how female athletes felt they could be successful or accepted or make it through the marketing guys or get a campaign and that must have been a really heavy weight actually especially if you're someone maybe like yourself who's like at heart you were like more stoked as a tomboy you wanted to wear board shorts and actually not care about that that must have been really difficult yeah, for sure. It was annoying. Um, and, and I think that aside from that too, just like all the games that you have to play, you know, in the industry of, of, um, you know, what you wear is one thing, but then it's also like the relationships that you form and, you know, this guy that works for the magazine, if you have a relationship with him, then when the, there's the opportunity to run that one page of women in the men's magazine, you know, if like the editor of the magazine or the marketing director of the magazine is a friend, then, you know, you're going to be a lot, lot more likely to be that one page. And, um, you know, especially also among the other team, you know, like there's only so much money to go around for the team and whoever kind of, you know, part of it is sort of forming those relationships with, the mostly male decision makers. So I Mm -hmm. think that there was this, you know, pressure to make sure that you were friendly with them. And that was kind of annoying too. But yeah, I left all Mm -hmm. that behind. You know, I I was like, I just got to this point where I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what am I, I'm like bending over backwards to be somebody that I'm not and, you know, try to, fight for all these things and I'm just I'm over it I don't want to do this anymore mm-hmm. I feel like when I first came across you I think it was in the tv show boarding house um and if you're listening it was like an early reality tv show uh, I think you were in your teens when you were in it right Holly and it was like I know it was 20 22 I think 22, 22 and it was like 
Holly, Danny Fuller, who was also very young, uh, Chelsea George, and Veronica Kay, Sunny Garcia, and they were all living in a house uh, in Hawaii. Um, I think it's on YouTube, actually. But I remember watching that, and I was like, because I was a scrappy little tomboy who just, like, loved all sports, you know, as a kid. And to me, I was, like, immediately struck by you. I was like, oh, I was like, here's someone who does like you're, you were just kind of moving to the beat of your own drum. I mean, I appreciate that was a TV show. So that was just like one element of what, you know, I didn't know you as a person, but seeing that I was like, here's a chick who's athletic, who's strong, who's driven. She's not really taking any BS. And I was like, this is cool. I was like very inspired by female role models like that, especially in sporting settings. Um, because yeah, when I was a kid, then it was still like, my mom was the same thing. Like, Oh, Sophie, like, why do you want to learn to snowboard or why are you going surfing? Or like, why do you want to do this? Like little girls don't do that. So for me, it was really inspiring to see people like you. And I remember watching that TV show and sitting in my living room and being like, Oh my God. And then fast forward years later, I came on your surf retreat, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you kind of, I feel like you always kind of moved to the beat of your own drum and it's really cool to hear that you kind of just thought, you know, sod it. Like, and then that's when you kind of went into the later part of your career, setting up the amazing Surf with Amigas retreats, um, which really like have been, maybe you could argue they're one of the original uh, women's surf and adventure retreats. Um, and they started in Nicaragua, right? I think they've been going for 12 years now. Um, you've got locations worldwide, right? Panama, Mexico. I think you've just been in Morocco, Costa Rica. Um, and yeah, I actually went on one myself and it was honestly like such a life changing, incredible experience An 11 out of 10 seriously. So if you're wanting to go on a camp, I like beseech you to go on a surf with Amigas. <laughs> um, but now like so much time has passed since you set up this really successful business, like what are some of your key learnings a de over a decade later of bringing surfing and providing surf coaching to women and just kind of like some of the best things you've learned from this experience? Um, well, thank you for all that. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of, <laughs> lot of different ways we can approach that, that question. But um, to answer what you, what you asked then, what are my key learnings? I think for me, what I've learned is how mental and emotional surfing is. You know, when I started the retreats, it was really just like, I wanted to live in Nicaragua. I was done competing. At the time I was living with my boyfriend in Los Angeles. And I thought to myself, all right, I, I'm going to give up this life of travel and surfing good waves. And I'm going to get a job in the surf industry, maybe. And I'm going to have to live in California and I'm going to have like a real job. But before I do that, wouldn't it be cool to like spend a year living in Nicaragua? And I'd gotten my MBA and I'd written a business plan for a surf school. It was a, ended up being a little bit different than I'd written the plan for, but I had this plan. And, um, and so it started just with that. I had been living in Nicaragua kind of off and on. I was there for like, you know, four to six months a year. I'd bought some land there and built a little house and I was really one of the only women. So I had gone from this life of having all these amazing adventures with all of these, you know, the world's best women surfers from all over the world, having these silly adventures. And then I moved to Nicaragua where I was again, like one of the only women with all these dudes. And I was like, I got to import some friends because, you know, I'm so glad I don't have to deal with all of the surf industry silliness, but I wish, 
that I still had that camaraderie of women surfing. Um, and so that was really the motivation. And, and also like, wouldn't it be a killer if I could live in Nicaragua and make a living? Um, so those two things led me to start surf with Amigas and, I was able to um, get it off the ground little by little. I didn't have a lot of pressure to do it, um, which was also nice in starting a business because I was still making some money from surfing and you know it's really cheap to live in Nicaragua. And so I built it little by little and kind of learned as I went along the way and ended up getting these like awesome team of women that I could um, hang out with that were working with me. You know, the yoga teacher and the other surf instructors ended up being like, the women that I needed to be happy living in Nicaragua. And then we would have, you know, a rotating group of amigas that would come through and it would be all these like smart, you know, women that were, you know, business women, or maybe they were moms or whatever, and they would come down and spend their week. And I was always really inspired by them and hearing their stories. And, you know, over the years, I started noticing that, I would hear someone's story, you know, over cocktails at, you know, before dinner or whatever about like their job or their relationships or whatever it was. And then I would see them in the water and I would start to notice that there were some parallels, like there were some similarities, like this, this girl who, you know, was, was telling this family story where I got the idea that she never stuck up for herself and she just sort of like would always be looking out for everybody else's needs. And then we're in the water and she wasn't taking waves because she was so worried about everybody else going, you know, or even the opposite. You'd get the girl that didn't care at all about other people. And it was just all about her and how many waves had she gotten and made sure that she had the best board or the one that she wanted, regardless of other people wanting that board too. And then she's telling her family or her job story. And I started seeing parallels, you know, and then I started noticing in my own life how my own, you know, emotional needs were showing up in the water. and. And it really started to make me, you know, interested in, in that connection. And I had gotten an undergrad and um, degree in psychology. So I was always had been interested in, in kind of, you know, the things going on below the surface. And I came from a very mentally health challenged family. You know, I went through a lot of childhood trauma. I think most people do, but you know, I got an extra, extra large dosage of it growing up. And the ocean was really my healing place. And then in 2019, I lost my sister and brother-in-law to an accidental drug overdose. And they left behind a couple of kids that now didn't have parents. And I really felt called to, number one, like address my own mental health issues and those of my family, because all of a sudden it was like, this is real, you know, like I have these nieces now that don't have parents and you know, the grieving a sister and, you know, feeling this, like I'm the oldest of five girls. So I had this like older sister responsibility feelings. Um, I'd also separated from my, um, now my ex-husband, but separated from the father of my children. And he had moved back to California. And there was all these things that I felt like were pulling me back to California. And then COVID happened. And all of a sudden the border is closed and, and this business that I've, you know, spent the last 10 years building that relies on international travel is suddenly not viable, you know, and no one knew in the beginning of COVID how long it was going to last. And then as it went on months and months and months, it was like, well, is the, is the face of travel completely changed forever? You know, it seemed like all of these signs were pointing to, okay, I need to move back to California. My kids were getting into school age. There's not good schools. 
near my homes in Central America. And so I was inspired to start on a master's of counseling program. And it was, it was part self-healing. It was part like being more empathetic and being able to hold space better for like the people closest to me, my family, my sisters, my kids. Um, and then as I got deeper into the program and learned more about therapy, about that there's a thing called surf therapy that actually exists. Then I started realizing like, okay, like I wonder if I could tie some of this in to surf with Amigas. And, and so to sort of answer your question about where I'm at now and what's most inspiring me and what I've learned, it's how much the way that we show up in the water really is a metaphor for how we show up in life and, and just sort of using the context of surfing to look at how we embrace challenges or where anxiety or fear shows up and what we do when those emotions show up. And it's been super interesting. It's really interesting how you describe it like that, because I don't think I've really thought of it like that. Like you're kind of like, yeah, when you're in the water, what's showing up and kind of like maybe mentally and how you're behaving. It's kind of interesting to flip it that way, because I know we can appreciate surfing's excellent for your physical health and it's been shown to be so beneficial for your mental and spiritual well-being which um which for me is also why it's such an incredible sport but kind of considering it in that way as well that that's that's a really interesting learning and um again against that backdrop it sounds like you went through such a period of profound human highs and lows and of you know going into studies again um so as, as that being one of your takeaways now and you're bringing that into Surf with Amigas, has the kind of curriculum, so to speak, or the agenda of what's on your retreats now changed? Is the holistic side something that you're more considered about and incorporating more into the guest experience? Yeah, so I'm starting to do holistic surf coaching retreats within surf with amigas. So mm-hmm. right now I, we just done our third one. We just did it um, a couple of weeks ago in Morocco. First two were in Costa Rica and we have a few more on the schedule for uh, 2023. And, and I think eventually I want to take the whole culture of surf with amigas and shift it in that direction. But right now it's, it's, it, we're in this learning process of like, what should the curriculum be? I mean, surf with amigas has been set up to be, empowering. You know, it's about, it's about, um, taking the participants and, and supporting them to get right to the edge of their comfort zone and maybe even push a little bit beyond it. Like the whole retreat's been set up that way where we take girls on horseback and like send them galloping down the beach or we march them up a volcano to like board down. And it's all in the concepts of like women supporting each other. And we're just telling each other you're awesome all the time, which how much does that happen in your daily life where all these people around you are like, you're so awesome. Like that was the most epic wipeout that you just had. Like even you come up and your hair's all in your face and there's somebody right there like supporting you, cheering for you. So I think that the retreats have have already been set up with that in mind. You know, we set goals. um, We talk about setting like realistic, achievable goals that are phrased in a positive and visualizing them. So that's already been a part of the Surf with Amigas curriculum. 
But to take it to the holistic surf coaching, it's just kind of taking it that little bit next level. So for example, on the retreat uh, a couple weeks ago, um, we were out in the water and the waves were pretty small. It was maybe, you know, two to three feet. It wasn't, wasn't really big. And, and these were women that already had surfing experience. It wasn't their first day. They'd been surfing for a few years and we're out there and one slightly bigger wave came in. So maybe if the average waves was two to three foot, maybe there was this one set that was just like three and a half feet or four feet. Um, but very soft, very user-friendly. And here's this girl out there with me. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, look at this one. Go, go, go. And she didn't go. And, and so I think, you know, on a normal retreat, it would just be like, Oh, what happened? You didn't go. And she's like, Oh, I was nervous. Cause that one was bigger. And maybe I would say, Oh, you can do it. Like, I believe in you, you can do it. And that's it. But now with the holistic surf coaching, it's like, okay, maybe in the water, that's what I'm saying. But then outside, when we get back to land, it's like, Hey, so let's talk about like, what came up for you with that wave? You know? And she's like, well, I was afraid. And it's like, okay, well, let's talk more about that. Like, can you tell me like, what was the visualization that you went through? Like, what did you see happening? Like, how did you notice it in your body? And in this particular case, it was really interesting because what she said was, she's like, you know, I have this belief that I can't go on the biggest wave of the day. She's like, it's not that that wave was too big. It's that that, that wave was the biggest wave that had come in all day. And I have this underlying belief that I can't, I, the biggest wave is too big for me. So just by identifying, okay, you have this rule that you've written for yourself that maybe you've never even really like realized before. So it's kind of about facilitating that self-awareness where maybe somebody else, there was another girl who didn't go on the bigger wave because she had a surfing accident 20 years ago when her very first year of surfing, she had an accident she missed a drop. The, she landed on the board. She had this horrible, you know, the fin went all the way through her thigh. She was in deep Baja. So it wasn't just the physical trauma, but it was that they were deep in Baja. So they had to then pack up everything. They had to drive a few hours to the sketchy medical clinic. They had planned to be there for three months, but they had to cut their trip two months short because she had this injury and they had to move back to California. So this, this one physical trauma, which was bad enough, was tied up in all of these other things. And now 20 years later, she's a much better surfer. She has all the skills, but she's still holding with her that fear based on that trauma. So the holistic surf coaching is really approaching it as an individual. It's like, okay, these two girls both didn't go on this wave. And a regular surf retreat would just be like, you can do it. Like, let's work on your pop-up. Like, I got you. Like, we can do it together, you know, which is great. That's great. But this next level from having the counseling background is like, let's talk about you. I'm not giving you advice. I just want you to connect with what's going on in your experience. Do you still, does that still serve you? So like the girl who was afraid because of that accident you know, she's operating under this belief that I can't do that, even though 20 years have passed. And now she does have the skills, but me telling her you can do it is not going to fix it. That has to come from her. And then the other girl, it's like, she has created this belief that I don't go on the biggest wave of the day. Even if the biggest wave of the day is only two feet, she has this belief that if it's the biggest wave of the day, I can't go. And so that's, what's really fun about the holistic surf coaching retreat. And that's where right now, like we have surf with amigas has so many retreats. I mean, we're doing, I can't even tell you the number. There's probably, I don't even know a lot, a lot going on. <laughs> I can't be at every one of them. 
And right now we don't have the staff that speaks that language yet to be able to, to really do that. So right now the, the only ones that we're calling holistic surf coaching retreats are the ones where I can actually be at. And then the other staff will be also people who've been trauma informed, trained in surf coaching. So it's not that they're like therapy. I think there's this perception that it's therapy and you have to talk about your childhood traumas or whatever. Um, and, and as I said, from those examples, like the one girl, she might want to talk about this accident that she had. And the other girl, she might not need to tell me why she formed that belief because we're going to focus on the present. Um, so yeah, we're just going to do a few a year and I'm going to be there as long as well as like our very best team and, you know, new team members that we're bringing in specifically for this reason. And I'm super excited about it. And as we kind of develop the program, the goal will be to eventually spread it through the whole surf with Amigas program, but it'll be kind of a step-by-step situation. That, that sounds really, really amazing. Um, and like, yeah, just like getting into like the nitty gritty of like, maybe like why or why not you're taking away that that's such an interesting thing to explore. And, um, it almost sounds like, like a lot of athletes, for example, go through those like sports psychology processes and visualizations and, I felt, you know, you'll probably know more about it than myself, having been an athlete. Um, so I feel like applying that to say, like the everyday leisure surfer, that must have so much benefit because there is like blanket approaches, right, in surf schools as to how coaching is done or not done even in some schools where they're just kind of like herded out like sheep and it's like, boom, just like not even pushing them into waves. But yeah, I think this appro- approach is so interesting and I have such an interest in surf therapy too and I work as a trustee for a British charity called The Wave Project. I don't know if you've heard about them. I have, yeah, I've seen that. They do such amazing work with like kids suffering from, kids and adolescents suffering from anxiety and depression and other mental and physical disabilities and it's so cool to kind of gain even more understanding just talking to you now about kind of your work within this and I just feel like if this were to kind of like be explored within other surf settings and surf camps and surf coaching facilities it's so interesting because it's not just like the physical out there in the water is it it's like it's the mental as well and hearing you discuss that I'm like oh man like thinking about some of the times I might have like not wanting to do something or I actually got a fin in my thigh this year as well. <laughs> so I was like uh-huh. doing a lot of work to get through that, but um, I'm feeling pretty good about it now actually. But yeah, it's like amazing how you can carry those experiences with you, say like 10, 20 years later, whatever, and how it can impact you in that moment paddling for one wave um, and like unpicking that. That just sounds so, so interesting. Um, I feel like. I'm yeah. Well, really- I think, I think a lot of what, a lot of what happens, especially with women in surfing is that you don't want to show weakness hmm. because it's, you're like, I'm fine. Like this, this woman then who had the accident, like she was just like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, I'm not going to let it affect me. I'm fine. But it's like, if you don't give the attention to it, then it's not ever getting healed. It's still in there. And, hmm. and what you were talking about with the wave project, one thing that I, I think it's interesting to note is that there's a lot of surf therapy out there happening for veterans for autistic children, even like some, um, substance abuse, like people who have been in, like in serious facilities, you know, treating their substance abuse and then trying to work through addiction. And, you know, a lot of that surf therapy, even like refugees 
has been done with people who don't otherwise have a surf practice. So it's taking you know, even the 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 organization. I was a um, intern for Groundswell Community Project, which is a surf therapy organization based in San Diego. But they have um, they have offerings all over the place. And same thing, they're taking like Syrian refugees or sex trade workers, you know, or inner city women, and they're taking them surfing, which is beautiful. And there's so much healing that can happen just for these people who have never experienced the ocean and they get to the ocean and, you know, all of us who are surfers recognize how healing the ocean can be and reconnecting to your body in a healthy way and all this. But what I'm really interested in and what I feel like isn't being done at least I'm not aware of anyone else that's doing it in the same way is taking people who already have a surf practice and teaching them to have a more intentional surf practice. So before you go surfing, taking that moment, like what's one thing you want to leave in the, on the beach and one thing you want to find in the water. And that way, if you've set this goal on the beach, one thing I wanted to find in the water is I want to just find joy then once you go out in the water, if you're not getting all the waves you're looking for, it's like you reconnect with that intention. My intention was to find joy. What is something out here that find, that helps me find joy? Oh, there's a dolphin. Or look at that beautiful sunrise. Or there's my friend paddling out smiling at me. And so it's like reconnecting to the joy. And I think another thing that comes up pretty regularly, even if we're not talking about fear or an accident, is just finding belonging. This is another thing that can be really specific to women is and and to my own surfing journey is that I've struggled to find belonging in the water and, you know, not now because now I've, you know, I've come a long way and I'm a good surfer and I was a professional surfer, but at least in the beginning, you know, I didn't feel like I belonged out there. And I think that that's still a common thing for women to paddle out into a lineup and wonder about belonging. Do I belong at that peak up there or do I need to stay on the inside or off to the side? And if I feel like for women, if they can find the tools to make them feel belonging in the ocean, then when they're in the boardroom or on the subway or wherever else they are, that they might feel kind of nervous about belonging, then they have those tools or dealing with jerks in the water. Surfing is such a great place to learn some coping mechanisms for dealing with unfairness <laughs> or the guy that is, you know, just yelled at you because you got in his way. Um, and, and so that I feel like is, is really cool. It's like taking surf therapy, like the, the thing of surf therapy and it's adding another dimension to it. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, yeah, an even deeper level of it. And I, I was just kind of thinking like we often show up at the beach, right. Or for me, it's like, we often maybe physically prep our bodies, right. We'll do the warm up and like, we might mentally check in with ourselves, but I was just thinking to myself, like, how often do I maybe set that intention or think about like the mental mindset I might want to be working on in X. And there's actually so many things now I think <laughs> that I'm thinking about surfing. Um, I'm like, Jesus, like it's not just about kind of like loosening up my shoulders and like doing some squats on the beach, actually approaching it from that perspective. Yeah. I feel like that's super, super interesting. I could probably talk to you for another hour about this matter to be honest but <laughs> and I'm probably gonna have to come on another one of your camps I think it's been like 10 years so if you're doing this now uh -huh. <laughs> that would be wicked let's do it um but yeah so like just kind of like revisiting we've talked about the sense of belonging for yourself and the kind of journey you've been on and for other women in the water and kind of 
you've had such a long career within surfing, which has straddled so many different areas, like as an athlete, as a coach, founding this business um, in your studies in holistic surf therapy. And that's spanning quite an amount of time now. Like, how would you say, how do you feel the place for women in the water is today versus when you started and you were a little girl and you were kind of faced with this narrative of it really not being a place for little girls, perhaps? Well, obviously the ranks of women surfing has increased, you know, exponentially and Mm -hmm. it continues to increase. Um, And a lot of the places now, especially if they are, you know, somewhat accessible and not too gnarly, there's just as many women as men out there. And then sometimes there's more women than men. And sometimes I feel like women can be kind of like aggressive toward each other or, like in some sometimes women can be worse than the men i think especially if it's a a girl who has grown up as one of the only women and so she can almost be like well i had to fight for this place so uh oh there's another girl like no beat it but i think for the most part and and over time it's just increasing when you get a multitude of women in the water i feel like we're more likely to say what's up to each other you know to say hello to cheer for one another and i may, may be biased because I spend a lot of time creating that vibe in the places that I spend a lot of time. Um, so now it just feels second nature to me that if I'm out surfing, there's going to be women around me and we're going to be cheering for each other. And, and then that becomes infectious, you know, like by cheering for each other. And then I just get in the mode of, okay, now I'm cheering for whoever it is. And then when the guy does the turn right in front of me, I'm like, Oh my gosh, that was amazing. And then he's like, oh, thanks, you know, like not getting used to being cheered at. And then I feel like it, that, that spreads. And, and so now it is, it's such a nicer time to be a female surfer because you don't feel so much like an outsider, but you know, there's still a lot of work to be done. Like I was in, I went to the Mentawise in April with my boyfriend and I was staying at the, uh, the macaroni surf retreat. And there was one other woman there, one other woman, and she was actually a good surfer. It was kind of interesting that she and I were probably among the best surfers in the group of 20 or so that we were with, which is pretty cool. Um, but then she left and then it was just me and there was a, a good swell. And now I'm the only woman in the water with all these boys and there was a couple of boats there too. And I got dropped in on, on like I pulled into this big barrel and it was probably one of the best waves I got the entire trip. And this Brazilian guy looked at me and dropped in on me. And I felt all this rage surface because it was like, no, we're past that. Like we are past that. Like he dropped in on me because I was a woman. I was a woman in the barrel. I was deep. Yes. And he dropped in on me and, you know, I came up and just like, not only was I pissed off that like this amazing wave that I had gotten, like got ruined, you know, but I I just felt the injustice of it that like knowing that he would not have done that to my boyfriend. And, you know, he and I are like having this discussion. He's like, it's not because you're a woman, you know, and I'm like, it was, and he's like, it's not. And, you know, I was just like, would you have done that to my boyfriend? And I don't think so, you know, and And so there's still work to be done when the waves are of consequence. Um, Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I'm super inspired by the next generation of women who are like doing huge airs and like surfing pipe and and all of this. And I know that, you know, it's going to 
it's going to keep improving. And now Surf with Amigas, we do advanced tube riding retreats. In fact, uh, tomorrow I'm on my way to Central America to prepare for the next retreat I'm going to be a part of is an advanced tube riding retreat. And we've got 15 people signed up and a wait list of more. So it's coming. Um, and, and I think that, yeah, that's the next step. It's like, now we've, women have populated the lineup. You know, if you go to Tourmaline or San Onofre or Waikiki or, you know, all these other places that are like very user-friendly now there's maybe 50, 50 women in the water and it's a, it's a more friendly vibe, but we got to take those numbers and get them into the waves of consequence so that we can change the vibe there too. That is so awesome. I feel like from when you like set up surf with Amigas, it was almost like, that like that time, even like 12 years ago, right? There just maybe weren't that many female surfers. Definitely not as much as today. There were for sure a lot. But now like setting up these retreats focused on like addressing what's happening in waves of consequence. Like I feel like you're kind of like addressing the issues or you're making the change you want to see. I think that's the expression, you know? Like I hear that expression a lot and I really like it. And like that is just freaking awesome. Um so yeah, I just feel like in your in your career, you kind of mentioned almost that kind of feeling like a black sheep at the beginning of the interview. And I mean, you've established such a meaningful community of female surfers around the world. Um, like, how do you feel about your place now? Do you still feel like a black sheep? Or has this all this amazing good work you're doing? Is that seeping into you? And do you feel like is it this part of your career that's given you the most fulfillment versus competing as a pro? I think the, one of the beauties of being in your forties, I'm 42, mm-hmm. I'll be 42 this month in a couple of weeks is I've gotten to the point where I love myself and I'm super happy with who I am. And, and I actually take pride in the differences among other people. I think that when you're young, you know, it's like, there's this feeling of wanting to fit in and wanting to be the same as everyone and wanting to be accepted. And when you realize that you're not the same as everyone and you may be not accepted, then there's this feeling that something's wrong, you know? And, and then it was really a journey of self-discovery of living in, in Central America and, and then really kind of been, you know, taken to the next level through doing all of the counseling and, and yeah, like now I'm like kind of stoked to be doing something different and to be set myself apart. And, um, I'm proud of those differences. And it now I, I feel like my friends would like listen to this and be like, they call me the contrarian. And it's like, no, if, if the group thinks one thing, then I'm always like the devil's advocate. That's going to like argue the other point. Even if I agree with them, I'm like, well, let's, let's think about it from this perspective. Like, what about this? Like, Uh, and my boyfriend too, like he loves to like follow trends and like surfboards and stuff. And he'll be like, Oh, everybody's talking about this. And I'm like, Oh, that's the reason why I don't care about that. You know? So I I think I've come full circle and, and now just like, yeah, I, I obviously have a lot more work to do on myself and it's a lifelong journey, like self acceptance and exploration. But yeah, I think I'm pretty stoked on, on who I am today. And, and if I could, if I could go back in time and, you know, tell my 15 year old, my 18 year old, my 25 year old, my 29 year old self, like love yourself. Like you are amazing. And you know, everything is going to turn out even better than you'd imagine. Like that, that would be what I would use a time machine to do is just to go back and, you know, give my younger self a hug and be like, it's all good, dude. Like it's going to be fine. 
Um, so yeah, I'm stoked. Oh man, that that's so awesome to hear. And it so beautifully leads me to my last question, which you might know because you've listened to some of the other podcasts, but Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's a big question and it's sometimes hard to answer. <laughs> but it is, what would you ultimately like your legacy to be? Yeah. I, you know, it's funny because I did listen to, and anyone listening now, make sure you go listen to all the podcasts because they're all good. Um, and I did like think about that and go, what am I going to say? Um, you know, I, I have kids. I have a, a daughter and a son. They're six and eight. And when I think about legacy, they're really my audience. Um, like tangible, you know, and, and when I was young, when I was on that TV show, I was like aware that my little sisters were going to see how I was portrayed and I wanted to make sure to be a good role model for them. And now I look at it as my kids. And I think, I think to me, the most important things for, for legacy is, is to be empathetic, to understand that everybody that you meet, um, they're going through their own thing and, and their choices that they're making are based on the things that they've experienced and I'm not perfect and no one is. And it's just accepting people with the understanding that we never know what someone has been through. And all you really can do is to, to try to be empathetic and to try your best. And when you make a mistake to admit it and um, just constantly be trying to grow. Amen to that. And um, yeah, thank you so much for such an awesome discussion. I really, really enjoyed that. And I greatly appreciate your time. Um, so thank you so much, Holly Beck, for joining the drop-in session. Awesome. Thanks for having me.